Don't. You'll skin your knuckles. And you know, I still think them pegs is cut a mite short. I quite see there ain't the wear and tear on a window seat that there is on stairs. Still, you want the job to last. Every peg in them stairs. He turned and looked at his handiwork. Is six inches long. Ah, them stairs'll be there sound as they are today, when your children's children are oldens with children of their own. Wonderful, I thought. Tom Rowhedge's children, and theirs, and theirs, scampering up and down all safe and secure, because every peg in them stairs is six inches long and driven by an honest man. Oh, for God's sake, go away and leave me alone. With my very teeth on edge, I waited for him to say that he'd give me a hand. However, when he spoke, he said, I'll just go and have a look at that well cover. Then there's another little job I want to do. I'll be back time you're finished. Only go a bit wary, like, when you get to the corner. Once you a man bark his knuckles on a new wall that hadn't had time to get friendly. And a rare lot of trouble he had. His fingers were stiff to the end of his days. I'm always careful, I said shortly. He left me. I heard the big door beyond the screen open and close, sweetly, for all it was so newly hung. Well, God be thanked, I thought. That's over. These last two months, when Uncle Francis and I had been working alone in Tom's house, had been about as much as I could endure. But it was over. When the last of my two short, new-fashioned pegs was driven home, Tom's house would stand, sound and beautiful, all ready for occupation. I had only two more to drive, when a chance glance through the window showed me Uncle Francis, with a short axe in his hand, striding away across the clear space which was to be the garden, and in which there was already a sundial like the hub of a wheel, with tiny young box hedges radiating out like spokes, marking off the beds where next year the flowers would bloom. He jumped, nimble as a boy, across the dividing ditch, and set off across the meadow in the direction of Layer Wood. This afternoon, the lowering sun shone on the thin, blazing leaves of the beeches, and the contrast between them and the few dark firs that grew amongst them was as startling and lovely as it was in the spring of the year, when the firs looked black against the bright, translucent young green. Wondering what in the world he was up to now, I drove home my last two pegs and laid my tools away. Then I lifted the ale bottle and shook it. It was empty. Quite reasonably, when I said I wasn't thirsty, Uncle Francis had drained it. I was reminded of one of the hateful old sayings which he quoted at me when I was a child, and refused something and then regretted it. He who will not when he may, when he would he shall have nothing. My uncle was never at a loss for a proverb, and he produced every one as though it were mint new. Setting the empty bottle back in the basket, I remembered another of his silly sayings. More ways of killing a cat than choking it with butter. Most applicable in my case, because I had just remembered where I could get myself a drink. At Easter time, 
Just before the bricklayers, the tilers, the plasterers, and ordinary carpenters had finished their work and were about to leave, Tom Rowhedge had paid us a day's visit, and had stumped about all over the house, laughing and shouting, wildly excited, extremely pleased with all he saw. He had brought food with him, a whole ham, a great silver side of beef, a barrel of ale, a butt of wine, and a little keg of French brandy. There'd been an hilarious feast. I was sick that day, and although I hoped nobody had noticed me when I crept away, Tom had. Next morning, very early on his way back to Bywater, where his ship lay, he had halted his horse by our house, and without dismounting, rapped on the door. I opened it. He looked down at me and said, "'I was sorry you took sick, John. You still look a bit green. Have a care to yourself.'